Well, I'm Senator James Lankford. Welcome back to another episode of The Breakdown. This is where we take the complicated news issues of the day and break them down into smaller parts to help people be able to understand the context to make you the smartest person at the water cooler or at the Zoom meeting or wherever you hang out now at this point. The idea is to be able to take some of the things that's really out there that people want to know more about and want to dig a little deeper on. And this is an opportunity to be able to listen in on a conversation that takes a hard issue deeper. This is not an issue that's a political issue today, though it becomes political. It really shouldn't be. This is a cultural issue that we're going to be able to dig on a little bit more today. And it's an issue about life. What does that really mean? We're quite frankly doing a multi-part series on the issue around life because there's a case coming before the Supreme Court you'll commonly heard here called the Dobbs case. It is December the 1st. When that case it comes out of Mississippi, when that case is heard uh, in the Supreme Court, uh, it will challenge this basic belief of can a nation, can a state in this case, be involved in protecting the life of a child before they're viable? Now we know from Roe v. Wade and that decision made in 1973, there was abortion in America even before 1973, but it only existed in a few states. The Roe v. Wade decision was from the Supreme Court said no, that they found a right to abortion and it had to be imposed on every single state, but they said it was limited only on the issue of viability. In other words, when a child is viable, then a state could actually step in and try to protect them. Before that, they said no, a state couldn't do that. A state couldn't protect the life of that child or not. The Dobbs case uh, circles around a child that's actually 15 weeks old. And a child at 15 weeks old, what's before viability, can the state of Mississippi actually be involved in that? Now, if you're tracking through our podcast, and I hope you're a subscriber to it, if you're not, you can subscribe at all the podcasting uh, platforms on it, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, all of them. You can get a chance to subscribe to The Breakdown with James Langford there. But if you are a subscriber, if you want to be able to go back and listen to it, we had a great OBGYN that was in our last episode, Dr. Francis, and she laid out the context of when does life begin? What does that look like in the development of a child as they're actually developing in the womb? Today, we're actually going to take this a very different direction. We're going to talk about for a person that's not only a survivor of abortion, but the cultural conversation about abortion and the conversation that's happening about abortion, what that really means. I brought with me today a friend who's Dr. Alveda King. She is a civil rights uh, icon in many ways and has been a leader for a long time in the civil rights movement. Her dad was a great civil rights icon as well, uh, Reverend A.D. King. Uh, her uncle was uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, you've been very active in the civil rights movement for a very long time, but you've also been extremely passionate about the issue of life and the value of every single child. You've held a lot of different titles and have done a lot of different tasks. I've been honored to be able to interact with you in so many places. In fact, the last time you and I saw each other was just earlier this year at the National Promise Keepers meeting. We randomly ran into each other and you kind of stuck out as a woman in the middle of all those men uh, at the Promise Keeper meeting, which you were there speaking to a group of folks. It was great to be able to see you there again as we run into each other in so many different places. But you've held a lot of titles and a lot of tasks. Walk us through some of the things that you're doing even now. Well, Senator, it's just wonderful to speak with you again, this time, of course, through the technology airwaves. And that's an exciting opportunity as well. Certainly with Promise Keepers, uh, I am part of the Women's Advisory Prayer Group. And we, of course, pray for men across the nation and around the world. So it was good to see you there. I was there uh, in the prayer capacity, and that was just super. And I'm glad to bring you up to date even a little more. I have joined the America First Policy Institute as the chairman 
for the Center for the American Dream, where we deal with life from the womb to the tomb. And certainly that's why the Dobbs case and the little babies in the womb are so very important. Life is a civil right, or it should be. And to deprive a human being of life in the womb is actually a crime against humanity. Yeah. And so I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. I have also started my own nonprofit organization, Speak for Life, and that also is from the womb to the tomb. So that's some of what I'm doing these days, sir. You have such a unique perspective in this. Obviously, you've been an advocate in this area for decades on it, but you also have a, a fascinating story on this that you've not been afraid to be able to share as well. And some people have a story dealing with this issue of life they don't share. But you've described yourself publicly as a person who was rescued in the womb. Tell us a little bit about your story in dealing with life, uh, actually from your very beginning point, and how you walked through this journey as well. Well, I have an amicus or a friend to the court brief, even in the Dobbs case, and I have written that particular testimony many times. It's been before the Supreme Court and it is in the records of our nation's history. My grandfather, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Sr. in 1950 said to my mother, she really wanted an abortion. Abortion was illegal in America, but exploratory procedures such as a DNC, where they examined the contents of a woman's womb, that was not illegal. My mother wanted to finish college and she wanted to get this procedure. My grandfather said, no, that's not just a procedure. That is not a lump of flesh in your womb. That is my granddaughter. I saw her in a dream three years ago. She has bright skin and bright red hair and she's going to bless many people. So I tell people by a prophetic ultrasound from my grandfather, Martin Luther King Sr., who had a dream of a little girl in the womb. My mother chose life. Of course, my dad did, the whole family did. And I had no idea at that time, certainly in the womb of my mother, that I would be born and that I would grow up and become a voice for the sanctity of life. Yeah, that, this has been a journey, by the way, thanks for sharing that, but this has been a journey for you personally because you, as you told your story before, didn't start out in your earliest days as someone that was pro-life. Uh, this, this has been a conversation that many women have been through to say, it's just, it's just tissue, it's just flesh, it's not really a child yet. You, you've been very outspoken to say that's where you were in your earliest days. Kind of walk us through that to what actually brought you to this point now. Well, absolutely. It was more of a family secret when my grandfather encouraged my parents to birth me. And at that time, abortion was illegal. It wasn't talked about a lot. And then in the mid-1960s, of course, we had Margaret Stanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, who offered an award to Martin Luther King Jr., uh, supposedly for his work as a humanitarian, but she was promoting her agenda for abortion really legal abortion. Abortion was illegal at the time. So I grew up in the 1960s. I was a youth organizer in the civil rights movement and all of that. I married in 1969. So they offered Martin Luther King Jr. the Margaret, Margaret Sanger Award, the Maggie Award in 1966. You know, he actually, Senator, did not accept that award. Hmm. His wife went to the ceremony, read a speech that someone else had written, uh, and just it just went on it's, it's so much that they tried to attach Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream to abortion in the womb. 
but it never really uh, did attach itself. Martin Luther King Jr. during his lifetime said, the Negro cannot win if he's willing to sacrifice the futures of his children for immediate personal comfort and safety. And so in the 1960s, I married in 69, Martin Luther King, of course, was killed in 68. My dad walked me down the aisle as Brother Reverend A.D. King. A week later, he was found dead in our swimming pool with no water in his lungs. So a lot was going on, and the women's rights movement was emerging, and I bought into the, the lie that a child in the womb was not a person, not viable. A woman had a right to choose what she did with her body. Now, I stayed in that position until around 83, 84, when I became a born-again Christian. And so I began to rem remember my uncle's words, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Martin Luther King Jr. saying this, my father, A.D. King, people are more concerned about making a living than making a life. Daddy King, a champion for life for his whole life, rescuing little babies in the womb. When mothers and fathers wanted to get an abortion, whether it was legal or illegal, he would say, no, that's a person. And so I became born again between 83 and 84. And the first question I asked after I repented of all of my sins, I said, a woman has the right to choose what she does with her body. The baby's not her body. Where's the voice for the baby? How can the dream survive? if we murder our children. And that has been my position for many, many years. Wow. So th there's this conversation that's happening right now uh, within the House and within the Senate. Uh, th since 1976, uh, we have not allowed the payment for abortion from federal tax dollars. It's called the Hyde Amendment. You know it very well. Uh, abortion was mandated on the country in 1973 from the court. By 1976, Congress had come to an agreement to say there's wide disagreement about children and the value of children here. At a minimum, we're not going to pay for abortions with federal tax dollars. And that has stayed true since 1976, and it's called the Hyde Amendment. It's been in every single appropriation bill. Democrats now in the House and the Senate are now strongly opposed to the Hyde Amendment, saying, no, we want to be able to pay for the Hyde Amendment. But they've also added new language just in the past year where they've said the Hyde Amendment is fundamentally racist uh, as, a, as, a, as a part of our structure of our government, that the Hyde Amendment is fundamentally racist. I have a feeling you have an opinion about that, uh, and I'd love to be able to get your insight. Do you consider the Hyde Amendment in protecting the life of children as fundamentally racist? The Hyde Amendment identifies the person in the womb as a human being, regardless of gestational age or skin color or any of the other cultural factors. And so the baby, the person in the womb, from conception, science supports the truth that that is a human being in the womb from conception or fertilization in some cases. My pastor of 30 years, he passed away, at Believer's Bible Christian Church would say, if it's not a person, if it's not a baby, leave it there, nothing will happen. And so that little baby should be entitled to civil rights, to human rights, to human dignity. So it is not racist to protect a child in the womb. It is racist to find funds to abort babies in the womb for various reasons, including skin color or economic issues or possible health issues. So to deny a human being the opportunity to be born 
the person in the womb is already alive in the womb. That is a person. And so the Hyde Amendment says, well, no, don't take tax dollars to pay to kill little human beings in the womb. That is not racist. There's one race anyway. There are no separate races. We've had this discussion before. There is one blood. Acts 1726 science supports this truth. So human beings are one race. I even tell people there's a real critical race. It's called the human race. One blood, not ethnicity. That's skin color and all of that. That's ethnicity. We're not colorblind. If you can't see my skin color or other senators, you need some glasses. We have our own ethnicity. We celebrate ethnicity. And we should celebrate and protect our little children in the womb. And the Hyde Amendment is part of that protection. Yeah, it is well well spoken on that, and I I have told many a person that uh, the federal government and state governments are involved in providing health care for people that are in greatest needs, but abortion is not health care. Health care is protecting life, abortion is taking life. That's very different uh, than anything else. Uh, there, there's also this conversation that's out there among political conversations, and I hear it just in conversations with just folks and just interacting. They'll say, well, we need abortion to be able to help protect issues of poverty. And they'll say for people that are in poverty, they need access to abortion because the only way they're going to rise out of poverty is if they have access to abortion. Now, I find that fascinating because I, I know a lot of families that have a lot of children that they started out in poverty and those children have all been successful to be able to help rise out of poverty based on what they've done in work and everything else. But that's been a pretty common statement that I've heard is, you know, these, these women that are in poverty, they need access to abortion or they're never going to rise out of poverty. Have you heard that? And if you have, how do you answer that? I have heard many times and I've had young women say to me, of course, I did have abortions when I was young in my 20s and I did not understand that I was violating the civil rights of little babies in my own womb. Once I did, I repented and I began to teach. And so... When we say you're going to be poor, you're not going to be able to feed your children, so get an abortion so you could be a credit to your race. Now, that what, that's a racist statement mm -hmm. because all human beings are one race. And so with that particular understanding, I would say to people, I'm a Christian evangelist, well, Jesus healed the sick. Jesus fed the poor. Jesus took care of the widows and the orphans. He did not include killing them as part of his plan to redeem and to help them. And so abortion is not health care. Abortion is death care. Abortion kills babies in the womb to the tunes of millions now, legally since 1973. Abortion hurts women. It hurts our bodies, our spirits, our souls, and our pocketbooks, by the way. So abortion is not Healthcare, And when I explain that, I had one lady say to me on the sidewalk one day, well, I don't know who you think you are. You admit that you had abortions and now you want to take my right, right away to have an abortion? I said, well, ma'am, if I can help you not get breast cancer, cervical cancer, alcoholism, drugs, because all those are related to many women who choose abortion. If my testimony can help you to choose life, I would like to help you. Mm. It's a great gift to be able to be, uh, have that dialogue with them in such a frank way uh, to be able to walk through that. A as you have dealt with this issue for so many years, you have to have seen some cultural changes and some language and conversation that have changed over the past several decades. 
you've really been at this at this dialogue since the really the late 80s uh, and have continued to be able to engage in this what what differences have you seen in the cultural conversation around the issue of abortion now because as I talked to Dr. Francis before, there's been a lot of changes in science. The science is very different now than it was in 1973. We understand a lot more of what's happening in the womb now than what we understood in 1973. Thankfully, that continues to be able to improve. Uh, that's not just a black box where we know something's growing. We can now watch every stage of that development and be able to track that child and to be able to know the uniqueness of that child, even as a zygote. The cultural conversation has also changed in the last 48 years as well. What have you seen in that? Well, the little baby in the womb today with science is easily identifiable as a viable human being, actually, with a beating heart. At 15 weeks, there's so much development there that was not available to me, for example. And the ultrasounds that did exist during the time that I was bearing my children was nothing like it is today. So the viability issue is something that must be seriously considered. What we call little premature babies, they live when they're younger and younger and younger now. Technology has far surpassed what was happening when abortion became legal in America. So it's very, very important with the scientific facts, with the scriptural facts for those who are spiritual and believe the Bible. The civil rights issue, abortion is just a crime against humanity. It takes the weakest human being and denies that person the opportunity to be born and to live. That is a terrible thing to do to a human being. So we can look at it scientifically, we can look at it civilly or from the civil rights aspect and definitely spiritually. So from every angle, when we examine what should be the human rights of a little child in the womb, then the law should be on the side of that child. Hmm. I would agree, by the way, and, and trying to be able to walk through to make a basic defense of children has always been interesting to me, is that someone wants to stand up and say, no, I don't want to defend the rights of children. Uh, I, I, I don't want to be on that side to say children don't matter because I believe children do matter, uh, not only culturally and, and who we are as, as individuals, but just in basic humanity. Uh, if we get to the point where we say a, a child is disposable or they're inconvenient at this moment to say, I'm going to wait and have a child when they're more convenient, I'm going to kill this one and I'll make another one later, uh, it, it just doesn't work that way. Th th this is not a part for your car uh, that you can just take that part off and just be able to throw it away. Uh, that's a child uh, that has a unique personality, has unique DNA, uh, is different from any other child anywhere in the world that has been or will be. Uh, that child is unique and they're not just disposable at any point. You, you, you talk to a lot of women who have had abortions uh, and a lot of women that have considered it and a lot of young women. What, what's that conversation like for you and how do you typically engage with that conversation? Both with women that have had abortion like you have and that have now been restored to actually engaging where you've repented of that and said, okay, I'm on the other side of this and I'm going to help other people not make the same mistake I did. And then for others that are in consideration, what, what's the primary thing that you would say to them? I am a women's rights advocate. I feel that women should be treated fairly, with dignity and equally. Now, the little women, the little females in the womb, if we are really advocates for women, if we are really advocates for life, what about the little girls in the womb who have been discarded and thrown away? I'm not looking away from the little boys too. Those are all human beings. And when I begin to make this case, 
to women. And I say that really what you need is love and support, not abortion. I have men, you know, associates. One young man says that uh, his, the mother of his children was carrying twins and she was very angry with him. And she felt the best way she could hurt him would be to abort his children. And of course, he never fully recovered from that. He's been prayerful and all of that. He has living children as well. Fathers regret lost fatherhood. Grandparents regret the loss of their grandchildren. Families regret it. Society. There are many reasons to look for ways to serve the mother and the child. Abortion will never be the best way to serve a mother and her child. So as a culture, we wrap around those families and those moms that are in very, very scary moments, uh, many of them making very, very difficult decisions, many of them isolated, that there's a man actually encouraging them, hey, just take care of this, just go get rid of this child, I don't want to deal with this, because they're yeah. thinking the finances, they're thinking everything else on it. She's thinking about how am I going to manage this child on my own if this guy leaves, or if he's not there around at all, or whatever's going to occur, or this is not the right time because I'm in college, and, and this is going to mess up my future on this. All those things run through their mind, and as you stated, it's not a matter of wanting to take a life, it's just being afraid of the future when that child is there and what that's gonna be like. Have you ever run into, in all the years that you've interacted with ever, uh, folks, have you ever run into a woman that looked at her child and said, you know what, he's been a nuisance for 20 years, I wish I would've just aborted him. Have you ever run into that mom? Well, unfortunately, I have heard mothers say, I wish you had never been born. And I've been able to intercede there with that mother and that child. And I go to Psalm 127, children are a gift from God. What we say with our words, regardless of why we say what we say, they hurt. And usually all the women that I've known who've had times of distress or perhaps angry, anger with their children have had distressful childhoods themselves. And so that woman needs to be hold, the mother needs to be hold and healed, and then there we are with the children. Most women, though, that I've ever met are very fierce and protective towards their children. That's a natural instinct that almost every mother has. There are a very few exceptions, and there are reasons for those exceptions. So any final words as we're preparing ourselves for December the 1st for the court to be able to hear this case and uh, to be able to hear what's called oral arguments at that point uh, and then to uh, then they'll take time in a closed chamber to be able to write their decision. Uh, we won't know their decision until probably June of next year. Uh, so it's a long time uh, that we'll wait after the oral arguments and everyone will try to guess uh, December the 1st, what direction things are leaning based on the statements, but no one will know until they actually release out their opinion. Uh, any any statements about what you think, not what would happen, but what would occur? Let's say they decide they're going to say, no, Roe v. Wade was not a well-decided decision. It's not going to be up to each state to be able to determine for what they're going to do on the issue of abortion as it was in 1972 and before. What happens at that point, and what do you think states should do? Transformation occurs first in the human heart. Repentance, forgiveness, healing and the law can sometimes follow. So we should be praying across America and around the world that compassion will come in the hearts of the Supreme Court justices 
in the hearts of this nation and around the world. My uncle, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. once said, the law may not make you love me, but it can keep you from killing me. <laughs> and so when you think about that, we do have to have a transformation of the inner man, of our hearts. And once we begin to do that and our consciences are pricked, we can begin to have compassion for our weakest who still are those little bitty babies in the womb. Dr. Alveda King, it's been a pleasure to be able to visit with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the work that you've done on civil rights issues, on the issues about life and families, your engagement, how open and transparent you are with your own personal journey uh, as you've shared your journey with so many people and have not been embarrassed to be able to say, here's just who I am, here's what God made me, here's where I messed it up, and here's where he redeemed me uh, over the years. Uh, you've been an open book on that, and that's been a help to a lot of women and a lot of individuals across our world for a very long time. So I really appreciate your time to be able to discuss the cultural conversation around the issue of abortion. Thank you, sir, so much for the opportunity. No, very, very grateful. For all of you that are watching and participating today, uh, thank you for engaging. You're always welcome to be able to subscribe uh, to The Breakthrough with James Langford as we'll continue to be able to talk about this topic and many other difficult cultural topics and legal topics uh, as we do every time with The Breakdown uh, with James Langford. You can subscribe to us uh, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on all those different platforms, and we'll just send it to you automatically or we'll send reminders out to folks as they uh, engage with us as well. If they want to sign up for the newsletter, you can do that at langford.senate.gov. That's G-O-V, langford.senate.gov. And that'll be the spot to be able to sign up for our e-newsletter that goes out to get some things in print. We'll always have a reminder on the podcast there. Or if you want to be able to track us on social media, it's at Senator Langford on all the social media platforms. So God bless you. Look forward to the ongoing dialogue on this very difficult uh, conversation that we as a nation have. Uh, as I have said to people before, uh, this is not just a work on whether abortion should be illegal. Quite frankly, for me, it's looking inside the womb and to say I'd love for abortion to be unthinkable uh, because we would see the humanity of that individual and then the law will continue to be able to follow from there. So look forward to the ongoing dialogue and conversation. I'm confident there are people that are viewing and listening to the uh, podcast today that disagree with us would welcome your feedback in your conversation uh, as we have this ongoing dialogue about the value of every single child, no matter how young that they are. So God bless you. Look forward to seeing you around in the future.